Welcome to They Might Be Librarians, a podcast of the Plainfield Guilford Township Public Library. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Hi everyone, this is Lauren with the Public Library. I am the head cataloger and I purchase adult fiction. Hi, this is Rianne. I'm the manager of the Indiana Room, which is local history and genealogy. I'm Sarah. I'm an assistant in the Indiana Room. And I'm Janine, and I'm an assistant as well. Alright, so if you haven't picked up on it yet, we are all about Indiana history, but particularly Plainfield history. I have our three experts here, Rianne, Sarah, and Janine, and... Rianne, I really wanted to start with you. You are the head of the Indiana Room and the local history department. Uh, tell me a little bit about your your like academic background and your career background coming into this. I kind of started out at the Plainfield Library, and now I've ended up at the Plainfield Library, so to <laughs> me that's kind of cool. I actually worked in uh, the library as a high school page and also as the historical room summertime help back in the 1980s, the early 1980s, with who then was the librarian, Susan Carter. She hired me, and so I um, have been at the Plainfield Library for a long time with a little brief hiatus. So I did go to college at Taylor University and got a degree in history, and then I went to graduate school at IU Bloomington in library science and got a library degree to go with the history degree. And then that segued into working with local history in the Monroe County area, and I worked at the Monroe County Library in their Indiana room for 10 years, doing genealogy and local history with residents in that area. And then I was offered a job back at the Plainfield Library (laughs) in 2001, which I happily accepted, and I've been here ever since. So I was under the tutelage of Susan Carter, who was wonderful as the Indiana room manager and and she was just wonderful to help my career and a good mentor. And then she moved on to a different position in 2009, and that's when I kind of oversaw the Indiana Room after that. Okay. Fun little piece of trivia. Susan um, was the mom of Joanna, Joanna Sproul, our uh, community liaison and podcast regular. Joanna grew up here also, and I remember when Joanna was born, so that was kind (laughs) of cool, so... Um, we have lost Susan since she passed, uh, but her legacy is still here, and the department is what it is because of how she helped nurture it along all those years. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so that's a little bit about how I got here. Okay. And you've written a book about Plainfield. I was asked, sort of, by the company Arcadia if I would be interested in doing a little pictorial history of Plainfield, and Arcadia Publishers does small town history books, uh, pictorial history books, Mm -hmm. almost exclusively. So when they approached me and said, I think they were trying to find a lot of towns in Indiana to highlight, and Plainfield was one of them. And so I was kind of a natural fit for that since I worked in an area that had a lot of photographs that we had access to. So anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I wrote the Images of America Plainfield book, and... That was published in. When was it published? <laughs> <laughs> that was published in 2012. Time has zipped along. So anyway, it is a nice pictorial history of Plainfield using the photographs that are in the collection here in the archives, almost exclusively, with exception of maybe five or six pictures that I borrowed from another resident 
of uh, a business that was in Plainfield that he had pictures of. Mm. But everything else is here in the library, and people can come and look at it. So it's a fun little pictorial history. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. If people wanted to come in and um, look, just look at the photographs, because you have a pretty large photograph collection. We do. What would what would their process be if they wanted to come in and look at all the photos? If they want to come in and look at the pictures in person, they would just come to the Indiana room, and Sarah and Janine and I are one of the three of us are almost always there, including Joanna Sproul, who you mentioned earlier. She yes. she covers for us sometimes on the weekend, and. They would just come in and say, I'm interested in looking at Plainfield pictures. And we probably would say, could you narrow that down a little bit? Because we have like 15,000 of them. So if they're interested, what did downtown Plainfield look like? We have subject categories for the photographs. So we would bring them out the subject files. That particular case, if they were interested in Plainfield downtown, we have folders called downtown Plainfield. Mm -hmm. And then we have folders called street scenes from downtown Plainfield. So they could kind of look through and see. So it's. The photos are arranged topically by subject, um, but we can always help kind of narrow down what they're looking for if they're not sure. So, okay. And one thing I really appreciate about our collection of photographs is we are uploading them, scanning them, and uploading them to the internet um, on a weekly basis. So mm -hmm. they can also access a good chunk of them from our website as well. Excellent. So now, while you were uh, working on this book, I, I have to ask, was there any piece of history that just really stuck out to you that was like maybe funny or something you didn't expect? I don't know that I found anything funny particularly. I just enjoyed looking. Well, so when you do the book, they make you decide how many chapters you're going to have. So mm -hmm. I had to pick some chapters, and I wanted to make sure that I included, you know, obvious ones like the early history and, mm -hmm. you know, what downtown Plainfield looked like and the education and the churches and the businesses. But then I had a section called Fun Times, and those were kind of fun to look through because they're just random pictures of people in Plainfield over the years that are kind of funny to look at. So I'm trying to, you know, there's, there's a kid sitting in a um, soapbox derby car in his yard. <laughs> Clearly not doing soapbox derby, but this is from probably the 1930s, um, and he has an American flag attached to the front of his little soapbox derby car. I don't know. They're just I, I enjoy looking at old pictures because I like to just mm -hmm. think like what it was like to live at that time. So oh, absolutely. There's pictures of the old uh, Sunshine swimming pool that are in here, which we used to have. It was a community pool over where the Dairy Queen is currently located. Yeah. So that's kind of fun to look through. I don't know that any stories particularly go with them. It's just fun to look at them and and read what the picture says it was about and then just really kind of wonder what really was going on so oh I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna be honest with you I love looking at the pictures too and some of my favorite things that you've given me to catalog have been the old church directories oh yeah I've <laughs> loved doing that I I don't I I can't explain why but yes I love that you have all these church directories and I love that I get to catalog them and yeah. flip through them and, and having lived here my whole pretty much my whole life except for a brief hiatus in Bloomington it's like you can look through and you go oh that's so-and-so yeah. oh, there's Matthew's family I remember them you know or there's you know Sarah's family or Janine's family um, that's what they look like in 1975 so. <laughs> and that's we're always looking for more directories if anyone wants to donate their directories yes oh yes please please if you have them we're looking for them we'll we're take... always looking for yeah. photographs too if you and if you just you can't bear to part with your photographs, that's completely fine. We would be happy to scan them and give them right back to you on the spot. You know, as long as we can help preserve 
the history of Plainfield mm-hmm. just a little bit more by another vantage point from someone else's camera. That's always kind of fun too. So, and you've been are are you guys still working on the the Mead photographs, like the Mead Mystery Monday, or I'm turning that to Janine okay. because that's her well, project. Yeah, that's a that's an ongoing project. Okay, um, we I've actually organized all of the pictures. I should have counted. I don't I don't really know how many pictures there are. There's hundreds. At least. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah. Um, so they're all digitized and actually on the library's database, mm-hmm. the photograph database, but half of them are unidentified. So right. that's, go ahead. That's so that's what we're doing. We're putting them on Facebook every Monday to mm-hmm. uh, see if anyone can help us out. And they've I, done really well. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so. Sometimes you get exact identifications. This is, you know, Joe and Mary Smith. And sometimes you get, I recognize these people. And that's all you get. <laughs> or they'll say, this is my family. And that's it. <laughs> so we have to, okay, can you give us some names? <laughs> so please check out our Facebook page every Monday so you can see these photographs. And as as we've discussed, uh, if you do recognize the people in there, try to give us a little bit of specific detail. <laughs> and if you only say, I recognize them, just simply say, I'm sorry, that's all I have. <laughs> Maybe I'll get back to you later. Yeah. So the so the Mead project itself, Mead Bryant was a local photographer. And when he passed away, his family um, donated all of the proofs that they still had in their possession of his work to the library. So that's why we have all these pictures of People that, you know, he has his notes on him and like his own little way of understanding what he wrote. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he would write surnames only sometimes or, you know, whatever. And so it was his own little note taking that is confusing us a little bit because we can't (laughs) figure out what he's mean. So um, so they are pictures that we they are pictures that we own, I guess you'd say, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term, since they were given to the library by the family, but we're always happy to share the pictures. If somebody says, that's my grandma and grandpa, we'll say, oh, well, we've got, you know, five more poses. Would you like to have those electronically? And we'll send them to them. So that's we're all really about cool. sharing. So That is really yeah. cool. Yeah. And so the, the Mead post happens on the, actually the Indiana Room's face, Facebook page. So if you're, okay. if you're on the library's page, just, you know, click over to Indiana Room at PGTPL and you can and follow along with that. So Okay. Um, I did want to segue into uh, Janine because you've done a ton of projects that have been super cool with the Indiana Room. Like I remember you interviewed me for the COVID-19 Oral History Project, and you've been working on a historical project with the boys' school that was here. I would love for you to talk more about that. Well, uh, we've got uh, some boys' school heralds. The boys boys at the boys' school put out a weekly newspaper. Right. And right now I'm working on the year 1938 and it just gives all kinds of information about what the boys are doing and, you know, who's teaching them and all that every week. You know, it's a, it's it's really interesting. It gives you a, a real uh, view of, you know, what the boys were doing at that time. And you're working on transcribing and uploading them <laughs> to Indiana Memory so everybody can see the newspapers. Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that, what, what would have life have been like at the boys' school that you've discovered so far? Well, let's see now. I, I guess there were uh, several hundred boys, and they were all uh, divided into little cottages, and they tried to make them home-like, you know, so that they had a Usually, they try to have a man and a woman, like a mom and a dad sort of figure oh, okay. in each of the cottages, and the boys uh, lived there. Um, then they also had vocational 
uh, learning and they had school learning, you know, so they each mm-hmm. got to learn a job and they also got to go to school and learn and it. It's great programs for these kids, yeah. you know, that they, they would come. Some of them didn't, weren't in trouble. Some of them were just dropped off by their parents, you know, or, or sent there by the state because they have been neglected. Um, so they weren't all little criminals. Uh, so they Which were, I think is very important to, yeah. I think, because I think when people hear boys' school, they think, oh, delinquents. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, they some were, of them were, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they and had lots of opportunities to learn and grow. So I, I, I wish that it was like that still, you know, mm-hmm. there's... It, there were so many benefits to this program for these And they boys. learned music, too. Like, they oh, would yeah. have a band, or they'd, band. they'd do sports. They'd have a basketball team, football team. Mm-hmm. And what we found, what I found interesting when you look through them is they have, like, this wonderful band, and then, like, in the next paragraph, they lose their lead trumpeter because he got paroled or whatever. Yeah. He got sent back home. And it's oh. like, oh, now we need a new trumpet. Oh, now we need a new center for the basketball team. Oh, no. But they always say, oh, we're so happy that he gets to go back home with his family. Yeah. But now we need a new trumpeter. Yes. Yeah, in 1937, the band actually won. Did they win state? They won They won state, I believe. Oh, that's state competition in their in their uh, size, the size of their band. That's so yeah. cool. But then, like the next year, half of them uh, left, <laughs> so they didn't. Really, this year, nineteen thirty eight, they didn't really have much of a band at all. In fact, mm. the band leader left and everything. So. <laughs> that's 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 really an interesting concept. Yeah. I mean, it it's is true. It's yeah. kind of similar to seniors graduating, but. A little bit a little different because it's. I remember yeah. the um, average stay. I think his average stay. The average stay was maybe like a year or so. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. But the institution itself is pretty self-sustaining. Yes. They had, they had a garden, a large garden that they provided their own produce. They had dairy. Mm-hmm. They had, did. Um, they had, they had eggs a bakery. And and, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, they had orchards, so they you know fruit and bread and and produce and meat. And, and the extent of the land that the boys' school actually took up. I think a lot of people might be surprised um, now. Uh, the area that Tummel Park, all the way... Um, up through Friendship Gardens. Up through Friendship Gardens. Um, oh, wow. Quite a bit of land because they um, farmed yeah. um, all that area. They also had a camp that I'm really interested in. They were all... Um, able to well they, if they if they uh, did the things that they were supposed to do you know followed all the rules got all the grades they were able to go to camp for I think a few days and it, it, and I, I looked it's 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 on the banks of White Lick and it's down by Hamel Park down actually not far from the amphitheater okay. and and so yeah it, it they, they all got to go to camp and swim and fish and do all kinds of great things that's wonderful I mean, who gets to do that in prison i mean it's uh, yeah. that's yeah. great yeah it it and sounds then, very much like rehabilitation definitely, and opportunities definitely. as opposed to uh-huh. punishment mm-hmm. that's that's and really it was, nice you know, the privilege you know they they got to earn the privileges mm-hmm. and they got to learn trades too they i mean they're mm-hmm. kind of not outdated trades but yes. for today's standard but they learn barbering they mm-hmm. learn woodworking they learn leather craft or leather working, yeah. shoemaking, shoemaking, yeah, um, tailoring, tailoring, bakery, cooking. So you know they tried to provide them with a skill. Yeah, when they left, yeah, they yeah. and something. I mean, yeah, a lot of stuff is mass produced now, but like if you actually get into leather works and mm-hmm. you can make an excellent living off of it, and if you know if that's if that's something that does interest you, so I mean, it might be. 
not as in demand, but they're not abs- obsolete yeah, skills. Not obsolete yeah. skills. Yeah, I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> no, no, but no, you didn't. Yeah. You didn't. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, it's not as common, but they are still valuable. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the boys' school. That said, um, we just went on a tour of the boys' school uh, not too long ago. We got to go through the chapel, which I thought oh. was so cool because so many things took place at that chapel. Uh, you know convocations, obviously religious stuff, sure. uh, amateur shows, you know, concerts, movies. You know, that's where life was, I feel like, in the chapel. Um, it was fun to watch Janine, too, because <laughs> she went into the chapel and she was just, like, having this experience. And she's like, I just keep reading about everything in the oh. newspaper in the 30s going on in this chapel. And, and she can't just like, can't believe I'm standing here right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. It was nice because we got to, we, well, we had contact with uh person who works there in one of the I'm going to call it the outbuildings the horse barn mm. which is an original building and uh, has its own history but he said if you ever want to take a tour let us know so we said we'd like to take a tour <laughs> so we got to go you know we had to go through the screening and everything but we got to go into the administration building where the warden was and he escorted us on the tour also oh wow we saw the chapel and we went to the school and we went by the dormitories and then we got to go to the cemetery, which there is a little small cemetery on grounds mm. that you can't access. But it was from boys who had died there and some administrators, too, mm-hmm. right, yeah. I believe. Mm. There's a couple of adults that are buried there. So anyway, and if anybody's familiar with the big white letters that used to be on the side of the hill on well, 40, 40 yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, in between where the McDonald's is and where the athletic fields are mm-hmm. on the south side of 40, the letters may be making another appearance. So if you're not familiar with Plainfield's history, that won't mean anything. But Matthew, <laughs> he's nodding his head. We all remember the big white letters that said Indiana Boys School as you went by. Do they give tours on the regular, or was this a special privilege? This was kind of a special oh, okay. thing because the horse barn where um, our tour guide and his crew have their offices, uh, we had helped them learn about the history of that building because they renovated it during, during the pandemic. They had some downtime, and so they renovated the horse barn to accommodate their offices. And they left some of it uh, as is, which is really cool, too. So we provided them a lot of background history and some photographs of what the barn used to look like. So it was kind of as a, uh, a thank you. He said, come on down. So we said, okay, we will. Super cool. <laughs> it was very cool. So I, I get the feeling that this has been your favorite project that you've done so far. Oh, I get this the one <laughs> I've been it's working the one on that the I that, well, assigned you when you first started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it does seem like the boys' school is kind of your favorite project, but other than that, what would you say has been your most interesting project? Uh, the most interesting one was, well, we got a, a bunch of uh, boxes from the court uh, courthouse, and they all contained, you know, different documents, and one box contained documents uh, of commitments of people to the uh, central hospital for the insane, or central insane asylum, something, yeah. And to go through these, it was really interesting to see what they thought was mental illness back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of women with postpartum, uh, a lot of PTSD from the Civil War. Uh, So it was really interesting to go through those papers. Mm -hmm. And those are all arranged by uh, last name. So if you're looking for an ancestor and uh, they're in the... They're in that uh, particular group. Uh, you'll get a lot of information about them, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that was really interesting. Um, what else? Uh, we also, have, do we have those digitized on the website, correct, or we just have the index? We just have an index. We, yeah, okay. We so we have the index available, so if somebody recognizes a name, they can come 
to the Indiana room and we'll pull the files yeah. for them. Okay. Yeah, they're all you know, neatly organized. Very cool. Um, let me see, what else? Also, the courthouse paper, the other boxes, you know, I, I've gone through those and tried to put them in some kind of order. Um, so you can, and then um, you can see like these cases, you know, they're courthouse uh, papers, you know, the, uh, uh, what would they be called? Documents that they that what are they called? I don't know. <laughs> from from court cases? Yeah. Okay. So the warrants and the Yeah, the warrants, okay. that's right. The warrants and all that stuff, you know. So with people, you know, getting in trouble. So then I'd go back to the newspapers and I'd take a look at, you know, what they said in the newspapers. So uh-huh. yeah, I've got a lot of stories um, mm-hmm. saved of, you know, of criminals, I suppose you would say, or near duels, you know. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, that was really interesting, too. That is really cool. In the collection of courthouse records, we don't just have them willy-nilly. They were saved from uh, the dumpster by a person back in the late 1960s and 1970s, and he retrieved them, and they've been in the collection ever since. Kind of not really organized, but sort of organized, but not really. So we've made a, a big effort to pull collections that are pretty interesting and we mm-hmm. think people would want to look at right now, and then we still have little bits and pieces to go through um, later. We have like a collection of coroner inquests, which are very interesting because an unattended death was always looked at by the coroner. Sometimes it was a natural death and sometimes it was not. So we have those also on the website indexed where you can look for an ancestor or someone you might you know, be interested in and you can see why they died and then you can come here and look at the file and you can get the oh. witness statements if it was an incident. You can get the witness statements you know, who saw what, what happened, who fired the shot, you know, mm-hmm. or did somebody not fire the shot, or where were you standing when it happened? So they're kind of interesting. So That is interesting. Yeah. The commitment papers and the coroner inquest, I think, are my yeah. two favorite. Do you have one, Sarah? Um, no, I was just going to say, though, but, you know, the, Rianne mentioned that, you know, we've had these papers, and, and you know, we're trying to do the things that are, are uh, most uh, appealing or the things that people need the most. It's a constant struggle ver- of trying to get that done versus the current things that mm-hmm. people are interested in. And I was just thinking when you were asking Janine about her projects that she's been, uh, one of her things that she's really been interested in is um, documenting history as it happens with her oral history mm-hmm. project. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, well, it just came to me, you know, during the pandemic, and I had just been doing research anyway, and I thought, well, maybe an oral history would be interesting to see how mm-hmm. people in Plainfield reacted to the, you know, the pandemic. I think we've got 17, maybe 18 people to participate, mm-hmm. and it was difficult getting people to participate, so I had to reach out and get people, so I wish I would have had more, but uh, we're also thinking about doing a little bit, some more series, some more oral history series, um, targeting older people in the community to give us more history, you know, some stories. And yeah. a little bit of- we have a nice collection of oral histories that were done in the 70s, mm-hmm. and but it's of people who were living in the 20s and 30s and 40s, which is great. Oh. But now we're at a different time uh-huh. period, so now we need to do it and, and kind of capture another time Absolutely. frame of history. So Yeah. yeah. Isn't, our, isn't our historical um, collection kind of, uh, in the 70s and 80s, it's kind of lacking. We need more 70s and 80s yes. historical um, information. Yeah, 70s and 80s and even early 90s. Yeah, yeah, Just, you know, we're a little more in tune right now with the 2000s and the change in Plainfield and how the 
uh, redevelopment of downtown is happening, so we're documenting what we can. Mm-hmm. But yeah, from like the 70s to 90s, there wasn't much documented. Yeah, and we don't have many pictures. Yeah, as many, luckily as we have the newspapers. The yeah, but yeah, we don't have true. any a lot of photographs. So, Matthew, does your family have anything that they could contribute? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just thought I'd do a shout out. <laughs> Give me, I don't know. Yeah. And again, like I said, we're always happy to borrow and give right back. We mm-hmm. don't need to have you turn it over to us forever. But if you want to, we're happy to keep Plainfield things forever. Now, Sarah. Yes. You just recently published a book on Plainfield history. Would I would love for you to talk to us about that. Well, um, it's interesting uh, Rianne was talking about Janine's reaction at the chapel at the boys' school, how <laughs> sure. she was so thrilled to say, oh, this is where this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because my book is 50 Historic Buildings of Plainfield, Indiana, The Places and the People. And my approach was kind of taking the actual physical fabric of Plainfield as it is now and tracing back through the history to see... Um, from standing in a place like we were talking about Janine and kind of seeing what has happened through the past and tracing the history of the town through that so that you can kind of see how we got to where we are now in the places we are now um, and kind of covering the history of the town itself um, from the perspective of a place. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are 50 buildings included Um, All of them were at least 100 years old, with one exception. Um, And what I did was I went back, and it took about two and a half years of research and then six months of writing. And I traced who owned each of the 50 buildings um, back to the original land purchase from the government. Um, Although I don't include all that much detail, but that was just so that I could make sure everything was documented and accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I um, went through the people who owned it and uh, wrote the story down. Um, We have a great, as has been mentioned, photography collection. So I utilized those photographs Um, and our newspapers. Um, Mm -hmm. We have newspapers um, mainly from the... I would say uh, 1890s to current. Okay. Uh, we have a couple of earlier ones, but mostly that. And some of the articles are fantastic. Uh, so I use those. She did a really great job researching. <laughs> yeah. She's got some pretty interesting little anecdotes from these houses. Yeah, it, I would like to say, you know, uh, some a, a book like that to a lot of people would be like, oh, it's so boring. But it is not a boring book. It's, mm-hmm. she's, she writes it with a, a flair that, you know, makes it interesting. Each house. So Janine indexed it for me, so I'm to <laughs> give her a shout out for that. <laughs> well, that's how I know. <laughs> I I personally, I think it's really cool. I love knowing the history of um, buildings, and I just purchased uh, my first home a couple of years ago, and I know you've in the past had programs teaching people how to research the history of their homes, and I 
that's a that's a great little offshoot for for your book. Are you planning to do that program again at any time? In we the can if if we have enough interest. Okay. There's also I think. Uh, we did it online at some point, so it might still be available on our YouTube channel. Okay. Tell about some of the fun stories that you found as you were doing Well, there's the all kinds of interesting things <laughs> in here. There's everything from the human fly climbing the outside of the Simons Hardware building. <laughs> <laughs> to... <laughs> okay, I was not expecting that. No. <laughs> To a couple of people at different times, different people riding horses into different hardware stores in town. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> There's uh, a murder trial for of a guy who built um, the house that is now the Gathering Together on North Center Street. Okay. So it's very interesting to see how that turned from that. You can decide if you think it was murder or suicide. Mm. Yes, you can. I have my own personal opinion. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's wonderful, though, that you incorporated that. Um, And I think that's something that people definitely need to understand, though, is like true crime is huge, right? Everyone's all like, oh, the true crime. (laughs) Boom. Well, but you get it everywhere. You can find you can find it everywhere. And the best places to look really are your historical books and and um yeah if you want to read about true crime actually the indiana room is one of the best places to go so one little anecdote that's not in your book that we got a collection of some papers from a person that included a police case that was this i don't even remember the date i'm gonna say it was like the 1940s maybe the 40s this kid was caught doing something, and he was put in the Plainfield Jail, which at the time was at the back of the fire department on Main Street. Fire department that is no longer there. It was on the south side of the road. There's a little parking lot uh, between buildings where it used to be. But he was put in the jail, and he escaped. He wasn't in there very long. Like, I don't know. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. <laughs> he escaped. Literally ten minutes. But he sent the police chief postcards from all over the place where he was, like, hello missing you sorry you know sorry i can't see you and this would be from somewhere in you know another state or whatever for a while he did that kind of taunting the police Uh that i escaped and was so i thought that was kind of it's funny they they kept the letters too yeah so did did he ever get caught i don't think so oh Oh, that's hilarious okay maybe it's not hilarious but anyway that's a segue back to (laughs) sarah back to the book that's that's a very interesting story yeah and and the book is available uh, in the indiana room if anyone is interested you can either check out a copy and take it home and read it and borrow it from us or you if you want your own copy you can always get one uh in the indiana room for a modest donation of twenty dollars so and that's that's the thing i was interested in in writing the book was not just these are the bricks and mortar and this is the architectural history of the house although there's a little bit in there about the how it was built if i have the information and stuff it was more the people and the interesting stories uh, that went with it the uh fact that oh this is where Samuel Little had his huge birthday parties and they gathered like 80 people on the porch for a photo. And this is where the uh, Chester Miller had his dentist office and we have a photo of him doing dental work in like 1924, which is 
cute but somewhat alarming as yeah. well. <laughs> I would admit. Um, what's the book that, or what's the one that is not 100 years old? That you uh, the Pruitt Theater is not 100 mm-hmm. years old. It was built in 1927. It's close. It's close. Uh, it was, before that, there was a, believe it or not, there was a garage. The Pruitt Garage was on the site because Joseph Pruitt, who owned it, was the first person in town to have an automobile. And when he drove down the street, the the newspaper says that people would always run to their windows to see the car go by because it was such Mm -hmm. a new, interesting thing. (laughs) When I was growing up here, the Pruitt Theater was known as the Village Theater, a.k.a. the Sticky Foot. Matthew's nodding. Yeah. The Sticky Foot. foot. That sounds gross. Yeah. (laughs) It was gross, but you'd walk down the aisle to get your seat. and Years of spilled. Soda. Spilled soda oh. and candy, yeah, sticky. <laughs> yeah. Didn't stop us from going there. We loved it. Well, so. yeah. <laughs> so we have, um, well, we're doing a Throwback Thursday on 101 East Main Street, which is currently the Floor Fashions yeah. store, but she has that also included in her book, which that particular building was about a million restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> I Pro- mean, they Probably were- like 15 at least. Uh, no, I counted once, and in about a decade and a half, there were 21. <gasps> they would turn over, like, sometimes from a month to another month. Oh. And we have a photo of one of the restaurants. That that building was originally three shops in one. Okay. So there were three bays, basically, making the three different shops. Like three little storefronts. Mm-hmm. Three little storefronts. So if you can imagine that building divided up into three and one of the restaurants on the on the end, on the end closest to Vine Street, was a restaurant. And it was very skinny, as you can imagine, if you divided that up into three. And we have a photo of the interior. And that was the one that just kept turning over and turning over. Which is another thing that's very interesting is that um, there used to be a lot of different grocery stores in town. That restaurant, before it was a restaurant, was called the Sanitary Grocery, which I like to joke with Janine. We've looked at the photo before and said, if this was the sanitary one, we wouldn't want to shop in the not sanitary one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because groceries used to be these very small, narrow, little shops that you would go in and the grocer would get your items for you because they were so small. Therefore, there would be anywhere from four to eight in town because they oh, okay. were so small before okay. the rise of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And my book kind of documents all the different ones that were in town as well. That's cool. It's kind of like they do now at Kroger. You know, you put your order in and then they come deliver it to you. Only yeah. back then you're just standing there. So yeah. I'll take one of those and one of those. And one Probably of those. discussing all the local gossip with, yeah. with whoever's in there or with oh, the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. grocer or whoever. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, your focus is local history, and I know you work with a lot of people in their genealogy research. For anyone out there who is thinking that maybe they want to get started in a genealogy research, where would you suggest they start? And I mean, obviously, probably coming in and talking to you guys would be the best place to start, but um, what would be some recommendations that you would give, like, to... What questions should they even ask? You want to start, actually, before you come in and talk to us, you want to start talking to your family first. You want to talk to any relatives who are still alive, your parents, your grandparents. Get all the information you can from them about 
where they were born, mm-hmm. uh, when they were born, and what they know about their relatives and that type of thing. If you can talk to your grandparent about their grandparents, then you've just worked yourself back, you know, even more generations. Okay. So, and if you don't know where to start, you can certainly come in and we can get you started. We actually are old school. We start out with a paper pedigree chart, which is where you put your name down and then you start working back and adding names. Okay. Kind of see where your holes are, mm-hmm. who I need to talk to, who's still alive, who's not alive. Um, I had someone come in not too long ago who actually did not know hardly any, who knew hardly anything about her grandparents. Mm-hmm. But because she knew, and I started her on a pedigree chart, and I said, you know, write down your parents and what you know about, like, their birthday and everything. And because we could find her parents' marriage certificate, it listed her grandparents, and we could go from there. Oh, okay. But you have to at least start with something. Mm -hmm. And as much as you can get, we can go from where you start. But you have to start with what you know. And so that's usually why we start with the pedigree chart, so that we can see what you know Mm -hmm. and where to start from there. Well, that's really interesting. And almost anybody, well, I'd say anybody, we can help you get somewhere. Mm -hmm. So I don't think unless... No, I don't think that anybody could come in and really stump us. I don't mean that as a challenge. I mean mm-hmm. that there are so many records that are available online now mm-hmm. through some of the big genealogy companies like Ancestry.com mm-hmm. or Family Search or any number of ones that if you know even your name and your birthday, we probably can get you going on your, your genealogy. So Yeah, I was adopted, uh, and oh. I just started doing my genealogy. So I had a name of my mother and a name of my father, and that was it. Yeah. And I've gotten pretty far um, back to Mexico, you know. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so in Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so, yeah, I just had two names, and I didn't think I'd ever be able to do anything with that, but I've gotten pretty far. You've gotten pretty far back, and she's learned how to do research in a different country. Yeah. Because it depends Uh, on where you are. uh I mean, we know how to do the U.S. research really well, but when you start tapping into Mexican records that are in Spanish, Mm I also had a woman ask about a black uh, relative, and so I had to do a lot of African-American research, too, in geology. That was interesting, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I've done, I've done some work with a lady who was from Puerto Rico. I'm trying to remember, Puerto Rico. And the, what I learned quickly after she kind of helped me out was their naming schemes are different. Mm-hmm. And so once you learn that, um, you know, the mother's surname is the last name and the father's surname is kind of the middle last name, then you know how to look. So, oh. like, that was new. I had never experienced that, so I was happy to learn that, you know, there are just different things in different countries. That yeah. It's different, so. And if you're researching, you know, we get some, we get all kinds of researchers for genealogy. We get everyone from the very beginning to people who have been doing it for years. And one of the things I think that I find that, um, People who have been doing it, but maybe not doing it for long. One of the things that I think is really important to know a lot of times is that if you once you get to the point where you want to go back to another country, mm-hmm. is that it's very important to research where the person came from before you start doing other country research. Okay. For example, you can't just say, my family's from Ireland. Let's go to Ireland and look. Sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you kind of need to know where in Ireland they're from. And a lot of times you can find that from stuff in this country. 
my sister-in-law is Polish and I've been doing some of her, her mm-hmm. research and you've just kind of got to know because a lot of the records were church records. A lot of the records okay. uh, were very specific to the town. So you've got to do find out where in the country you have to search. You can't mm-hmm. just go to a place and say, okay, I'm in Dublin. I want to find out my Irish person or I'm in Or Warsaw. I'm in Germany and yeah. German Oh, German Germany. history and German genealogy <laughs> is a pickle. It is. Because, yeah. Yeah. Especially with changing borders and things like oh, that. Oh, that's yeah. a, yeah, that's a great point. But you can find a lot here from your immigrants, like obituaries and, and family stories and things. So everyone has a brick wall somewhere, We what we call a brick wall, mm-hmm. where you get stuck. Uh, but part of the interest in genealogy is the challenge of overcoming that. And the more things are added online, you know, the more successful results. Sometimes people who've been working on something for 30 years, all of a sudden they check on Ancestry again and boom, there's the record they've been looking for that mm-hmm. finally got digitized and they didn't know where it was or, you know, what where to look for it and boom, here it is. So that's kind of cool. I have one patron that I've been helping. Uh, we're looking for his beloved great, 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 great something. And we know she's somewhere, but we just don't know where. And mm-hmm. I keep telling him just... We'll just keep looking. Mm-hmm. Alice Perry's going to show up somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, uh, or maybe she won't. I don't know. But I feel like. Well, I hope she does. She's somewhere. I hope so. she does. Yeah. So one last question that I have to ask all of you, and I, I'm pretty sure I know what your response is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's your opinion on Martin Van Buren? Uh, <laughs> Martin Van Buren. <laughs> That's a good does question. Does everybody in town know that story? I mean, no, just we a... better tell the story. Yeah, please tell the story. For anybody listening that does not know the story of Martin Van Buren, good old Martin Van Buren, former president of the United States. He was campaigning for in, re-election. Yes, in 1842. In 1842. He had already been the person who oversaw infrastructure in the United States, so that was kind of what he had been doing before he decided to run again for re-election. He wasn't very forthcoming with funds, for infrastructure. <laughs> and people really wanted the National Road, a.k.a. US-40, Main Street through Plainfield. Mm-hmm. It, it needed some help. It was muddy mess. And so uh, he had denied funding to help improve the National Road throughout the country. When he was president. When he yeah. was president. So the people of Indiana particularly Plainfield, learned that Martin Van Buren was coming through on a, an election. I uh, think just he, a little he was foray. He was just campaigning, <laughs> yeah. coming through, starting in Indianapolis and going west to Terre Haute. They found out about it and hired, this is the story that has appeared in the newspaper from 1842, so we think it's fairly legitimate. <laughs> it's legitimate. <laughs> so they hired someone to be the wagon and buggy driver for Martin Van Buren from Indianapolis to wherever he was going. But when they got to Plainfield, there's a, the big hill that comes down going from, let's say, Car Road all the way down the hill towards the Plainfield French Church. Mm-hmm. Um, so he picked up speed as he was going down that hill, and his wagon and buggy was flying, and the horse was flying, and he, the buggy driver purposely um, caused the buggy to flip. Right? right in front of the French Church in supposedly entangled in the roots of an elm tree. And Martin Van Buren was (laughs) ceremoniously tossed into the muddy U.S. 40 National Road. And 
it was to emphasize the point that the roads are terrible and they're all mud all the time. And uh-huh. look, you just fell in the mud too. And uh-huh. could we have some funds to fix the road? So anyway, um, that was the Martin Van Buren incident. So anything <laughs> in Plainfield that has the name Van Buren, that is exactly why, because there's no other reason that it should be. And the Martin and the Van Buren elm stood. It was a tree. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, with the roots that supposedly entangled the carriage, stood for years in front of the Friends Church. And we have pictures of that uh, tree, actually, uh, in the collection. Until it was hit by lightning in a storm around 1928. (laughs) Of course it was. Of course it was. And actually, tying everything we've talked about together, I believe... uh, Vocational class at the boys' school. It was at the high school. Oh, it was at the high school. It was not the boys' school. They saved the tree, and they took the wood to the high school. Eventually, it wasn't even it wasn't even immediate. They the town saved the tree somewhere, and then they ended up a few years later giving the wood to the vocational shop, and they made things out of it, like gavels and ashtrays and candle holders, and so you could get your own little piece of the Van Buren elm, of which we have some in the archive collection. Oh, so really? We, yeah. Is it just pieces of wood, or are they actually No, they're like, carved. Yeah? Like, uh, what do you have? Well, I think we we think, we think like we have an ashtray, a couple or... ashtrays. We have some candle holders. We have a gavel, and I think that may be the, of the variety of things. That's okay. all. We have probably five or six original items, and they have carved on there. You know, the wood shop carved. This is part of the Van Buren elm, and they dated it when they carved it. One of the stories in my book is that a guy named Otis Kirtley, who lived at... Janina's laughing because Janine <laughs> loves Otis Kirtley. Um, he was a bit accident prone. Um, who lived at 136 South Center Street okay. in what's known as the Hockett House in my book. Um, it could also have been called the Kirtley House later. But he was big in the Lions Club. And so was Harry Truman. And so oh. Harry Truman somehow found out about... Harry Truman was like the president of the Na- of the National Road Association yes. at the time of this thing. Yes, and so he found out about it, and he wanted a gavel made from the one of the oh, the elm uh-huh. tree. And so Otis Kirtley, he was president at the time too, but he was also president of the National Road Association. Yes, yes. And so Otis Kirtley was going to the, I believe it was the. Um, Lions Club meeting in Washington, D.C., and so he was supposed to take the gavel. And Otis, deliver it to the White House to the president. Yes. Okay. And Otis, being Otis, left it here. And it had to be <laughs> sent to catch up with him. Sent to catch up with him to give um, Harry Truman, which he did, actually. Probably and it's now... himself, too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's now in the Harry Truman Presidential Library. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and okay. we contacted them maybe a year or so ago and asked them, because we had read this story and we knew that we didn't have the gavel. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, Otis actually took it to Washington yeah. and didn't bring it back. But um, So we contacted them and they sent us images of the gavel and confirmed that it was donated you know, by Otis Curley, whatever. So we have... We have pictures of the, we have electronic images of that complements of the Harry Truman Library. We just have it in the database so that you can see it. So, oh, that's cool. But the original, though. the original is housed out at the library. So, then, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine like you're going to meet the president and give him the gavel and you forget the gavel? Yes, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. That's something I would do actually. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh well, thank you guys so much for coming in and talking about 
you know, your history projects and stuff that you do here. I I don't feel like I get a chance to get over to uh, to your department that often to like talk to you guys about what you're doing. And so this was a lot of fun for me. Great a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. So well, we have programs throughout the year, and you can keep track of that on the library's events page. And I think that um, Sarah is doing one on newspapers for yes. our genealogy group that meets the first Thursday of the month, and that is in August. In August. So the first Thursday at 1 o'clock, if you're interested in newspapers and how those can help your family history, or just, you know, fun things to read in the newspaper. Like I discovered that one of my ancestors basically burned down the town of Claremont from a newspaper <laughs> article. <laughs> I was not... Wow, this has been a very surprising podcast. This has been great. <laughs> we like to think that some of the columns that are in the early newspapers, it's really like Facebook of the 19th, oh, yeah, the 20th definitely. century, because mm-hmm. they tell about going to dinner and where they're eating and what they're having, just like we do today on mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram or whatever. But um, we have another program coming up July the 28th. It's an off-site program, but we're going to have a private tour of Crown Hill Cemetery, the tour that's called Stories in Stone. So we'll learn about um, some of the things that are on different um, grave markers and stones and why they have them and you know kind of we think it's interesting because we like cemeteries but um, so if you're interested in that that's available to sign up for uh, through the library's events page it's a free tour you just have to make your way to crown hill on your own which we have information about that so that's july the 28th on thursday evening and shoot i had something else can i put my scavenger hunt yeah put your scavenger hunt also, uh, we have a scavenger hunt available at the Indiana Room. Just come on to the Indiana Room and check it out. Uh, it's called the Historical Plainfield, Plainfield Historical Building Scavenger Hunt. It's about 10 buildings or 10 clues. Uh, and you need to find the historical building that the clues refer to. And if you find them all, take a picture of them and bring them back to the Indiana Room for a little prize. Yep. It's a so, fun yeah. family activity. Yeah, good, yeah. good date night activity. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> you can stop by the do. Frigid Frog and get some ice cream, or yeah. the Dairy Queen and get some ice cream, or yeah, two chicks a, and have some pastries or whatever you want. Yeah, so. and, and yeah, get to know about more about uh, downtown Plainfield. That's really cool. Yeah. And that's going on right now, or is it upcoming? All year long. Okay. You can come okay. anytime to the Indiana Room and check it out. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you. This has been a fantastic episode of uh, They Might Be Librarians, and I guess I'm going to have to be signing off now, otherwise we'll probably go another three hours, because <laughs> all three of you look like you're just preparing to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you everyone for listening to They Might Be Librarians, a podcast of Plainfield Guilford Township Public Library. Uh, find us on Spotify or anywhere that you get your podcasts, and please make sure to like, subscribe, and you can give us some reviews. 